Well, if I'm honest with you, uh, I would have liked to have skipped over this lesson this week and just said, you know, let's take this week off and we'll just jump back in next week uh, in the middle of chapter 2. And there's several reasons why I, I would love to just ignore this lesson. One is because I'm always really convicted by this passage in James 2. Uh, another reason is that it seems like this has become partiality and prejudice has become a very hot topic in our country. And you can't watch social media or uh, the news without it just kind of being in your face all the time. And so there's a part of me that's like, I am so over this. I'm so tired of this. But we're not going to skip over it. It's in God's Word, and there is something that we need to learn from this. And I think that if you and I are honest with ourselves, we'd all admit that we struggle in some form with partiality or prejudice in some ways at some point in our lives. This is relative to every one of us. Do you ever prematurely make a judgment? about somebody just based on how they look on the outside, by the way they talk, uh, what they do for a living. You know, I wish I could say I don't, but the truth is I do. Uh, I shared in our study this week an example of showing partiality in my life uh, when I was at a writer's conference. I, I shared that on the last day and how I just looked at somebody's dress and thought, you're not dressed business casual, so there's no way you're part of our group. How often do we do that? Even recently, I was convicted in my neighborhood as I saw this car that was always being parked on the side of the street with this guy in there. And sometimes the car would be running, sometimes it'd be night, sometimes it'd be Sunday morning, leaving for church. And I would be thinking as I'm driving off, I should have got the driver's license, I mean the license plate, I know he's casing the, the neighborhood, and I'm going to come home, and our houses are going to be broken into. I made a judgment just based on this guy sitting there. And then I talked to my neighbor a few weeks later and said, have you noticed that guy who's always sitting in the car? I think he's really up to something no good. And she said, oh, cricket, that is the boyfriend of the, my neighbor next door, and he's just parked there waiting for her to come home from work. I made a pre mature judgment, thinking the guy, I was ready to take him to prison, call the police, <laughs> come get this guy, he's, he's up to no good. We do it all the time. And so in our passage this week, James addresses the obstacle of partiality. And so far in our book of James, our study of this book of James, we've looked at three obstacles. In week one, we looked at the obstacle of trials and temptations. And then last week, we looked at the obstacle of complacency toward God's Word. And James encouraged us last week in, in our passage to live out what we're hearing in the Word of God. Live out what, what it's being taught. And so now, beginning in chapter 2, James begins to get more specific about how we do that. And he begins this week with this whole area of partiality. So I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to James 2, uh, 1 to 13, our passage this week. And in this passage, he gives us a practical lesson 
to live out, and that is avoid partiality. And so today, as we review this passage, James 2, 1 to 13, we're going to look at three reasons why we should avoid partiality. The first reason is because it's inconsistent with our faith. We see that in verses 1 to 4. James begins in verse 1 with the command. He says, my brethren, so we, let me stop there. We know then, my brethren, he is talking to believers. Not non-believers, believers. My brothers and sisters in the Lord, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. You know, this is one of the few places in this whole book that James even mentions the name of Jesus. And he does it in a very uplifting way, really honoring him. But he, he exhorts them, do not show favoritism. And if you look at the Greek, the Greek that is used there, actually it, it implies that it's an ongoing action. A better translation would be, don't keep showing favoritism. Because they already, apparently from the Greek, they are already doing it. And he's saying, stop doing that. Stop showing favoritism. When you look at the different translations, the NASB, the New American Standard, the NIV, they use the word favoritism. The Net Bible uses the word prejudice. And the ESB uses the word partiality. So what's the difference between those words? Is there a difference? Are they the same thing? Well, I like to look at them as two sides of a coin. Same coin, but two sides. And one, the, the partiality, I like to lump partiality and favoritism together. Those words imply that you are favoring somebody because of their outward appearance. You're looking in a positive way at them because of the outward appearance. Prejudice, on the other side of the coin, implies you're looking down at somebody and judging them on their outward appearance. It's more of a negative connotation. Favoritism and partiality is a positive. You're, you're lifting them up and you're putting down the one. Same thing, you're, you're showing favoritism but it's really two sides of a coin. If you're a believer and you have placed your faith in Christ, those qualities don't have a place in the Christian life. Showing partiality and favoritism, it's contrary to how we should live as a Christian according to the Word of God. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. And so some of these people may have thought, I'm not showing partiality. I'm not prejudiced. And so then he gives them an example in verses 2 and 3 of both. He gives an example that shows partiality, and he gives an example that shows prejudice. And this may be a hypothetical situation that he's using, or it may actually have been a real situation. But he gives them this example, and you're familiar with it, two visitors one man comes in, he's dressed really nice, and they, the usher ushers him to the front of the church and treats him with honor. Let me get you some coffee. We're so glad you're here. Then another visitor comes, and 
not dressed as nice, obviously doesn't have any money, and they just shun them. That's prejudice uh, based on the outward appearance, looking down on them. And, and Paul was trying to help them see the difference, the, the proper response to those visitors would have been to treat them equal. Give them both a seat of honor. When you see the rich man come in, go, we're so glad you're here. Come here and sit here. When the poor man comes in, we are so glad you're here. Come here and sit here and let me get you something. That was the proper response. That's not what apparently they were doing. And there's nothing wrong with being rich. And there's nothing wrong with making the wealthy feel welcome. The issue comes when we treat the rich differently than the poor, when we show favoritism. And then James points out the problem in verse 4. He says, when you act in this way, if you act in this way, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? If we give preferential treatment to one person and ignore somebody else based solely on their outward appearance or where they live, what country they're from, um, what job they do, then we're putting ourselves in the place of a judge, making distinctions. Do we make that do we do that? You know, that is not consistent with our faith. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, do not judge so that you will not be judged. We are not the ones to make those distinctions and to judge, well, I don't like the way you're dressed, so I'm not going to give you any time of day. Oh, I love that outfit. I'm going to hang out with you. Or some, I mean, that's kind of probably never happens, but, um, but you get the idea. We don't want to judge people. It's not consistent with who we are. Do we make distinctions among ourselves and judge others based on how they dress? I mean, obviously, I did at that writer's conference. Do we judge people on their race or ethnicity? Do we judge people even on their personality? Remember years ago, um, well, it hadn't been that long, but it's been since I was at First Evan with Susan Boyle. Is it Boyle? You remember? How many of y'all remember that? She was on Britain Has Talent, and um, I remember watching the video, and I, I judged her based on her personality. I mean, she just, you know, the way she talked and, and the way she carried herself and her dress, and I was just like Simon Cowell and all the others, rolling their eyes, thinking, this lady is not going to be good. And then she blew us away. How often do we do that? How often do we make distinctions based on maybe how much money somebody has, or even the neighborhood somebody lives in or the part of town they live in? I mean, I've had people ask, you know, where do you live? Um, Cordova, and they're kind of like, oh, why, why didn't you buy in Germantown? Well, because I can't afford Germantown, Vaughn. But, but you know, sometimes you feel that, you know. I live in Whitehaven. Oh. And so we make distinctions. Oh, you live in Collierville. Wow, that is a great area of town. Are we making those distinctions? Or in the job, you know, when you ask somebody, what do you do for a living? 
and they say, I'm a doctor. Wow, this is great. I'd like to go out to coffee with you sometime. You ask somebody else, what do you do for a living? I clean toilets or whatever. Do you treat them differently? Do you see them differently in your heart? We, are, we do. We, we struggle with that sometimes and how we view people. Do we even show uh, favoritism in our churches on Sunday mornings by just talking maybe to our circle of friends? And we might see somebody new that looks lost, but we're thinking, oh, I, I'm really comfortable with this group. I, I'm just not going to bother. Do we, do we just ignore people? Because they're not in our circle of friends. Well, I think I've made the point. Um, we just, it's not consistent with our, our character as a Christian. Uh, it, it's not consistent with our faith when we show partiality. And we do it in little subtle ways that sometimes we're not even aware of. That's the first reason. Because it's inconsistent with our faith. But the second reason we should avoid it is because it's inconsistent with God's character. We see that in verses 5 to 7. In verse 5 he says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, did not God choose the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? God didn't discriminate against the poor. He invited them to be heirs of his kingdom just like he invited the rich. He didn't stop them at the gates and say, um, "Let me, how much money? What's your salary? What's your annual income? That didn't matter to God. He reached out to the poor just like he did, does to the rich. Uh, Romans 2.11 tells us there is no partiality with God. And then Jesus didn't differentiate between races or nationalities. He reached out to the Samaritan women, which the Jews probably wouldn't even have spoken to, but he did not let that get in the way. He reached out to Matthew, a tax collector, and made him a disciple. You look at his disciples. They were not the sharpest group of guys, or the wealthiest, or had the best jobs, fishermen. Jesus didn't he didn't show a distinction. He didn't differentiate between them. He reached out to the needy. He reached out to the lepers, to the outcasts, to women, to the sick, to the blind. But in verse 6, James contrasts that. And he points out to the readers, you're responding just the opposite. You have dishonored the poor man. God and Jesus would never do that. God the Father and Jesus the Son would never dishonor somebody because of their job or their money or their race. And he goes on, and we're not going to go into detail, but he, you know, he's basically exhorting them and saying, you're treating this guy worse than you are the rich man. And the rich man, and he's talking about a non-believer, rich men, they're the ones that are oppressing you. They're the ones that are blaspheming your Savior's name. It doesn't make sense. So if we're going to be doers of the word, not just hearers, as we talked about last week, we need to become more like Christ every day, and we need to follow his example. He is not partial. 
and neither should we, because he lives in us. Do people look at you, to us, and do they see Jesus Christ in us? Or do they see the world around us, in us? Are we any different? Do we treat them any different than the world? Do they see a judgmental person making distinctions? Well, we've looked at two reasons why we should avoid partiality. One, it's inconsistent with our faith. Second, it's inconsistent with God's character. And then the third, it's inconsistent with God's word. Verses 8 to 13. And he makes a contrast in verses 8 and 9 between those who are fulfilling the royal law and those who are, who are showing partiality. Verse 8 and 9, he says, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, which is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. And you're convicted by the law as transgressors. So he's, he's contrasting them. If you're fulfilling the royal law, if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing well. You're obeying God's word. But in contrast, if you're showing partiality, you are sinning. You know, and we, we talked about the royal law in your lesson this week. It's called the royal law. Because it's decreed by the king of kings, but also it's considered to be the king of all laws. We are to avoid partiality because it's contrary to God's word. It's sin. And James reminds them that even though they might look at it as a small little thing, well, everybody does it. It's not that bad. I'm really good in all these other areas. And he tells them, it doesn't matter. I mean, yes, you may not commit murder or adultery. One sin is enough to separate you from God and make you need a Savior. And we can't excuse the sin of favoritism by pointing to all the good things we're obeying. One disobedience, one area of disobedience makes us a sinner. So James has shown them their sin, and then he appeals to them in verse 12. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Well, we talked about the royal law, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Now he's talking about the law of liberty. And the law of liberty is basically the gospel. It's the law by which God sets us free from the bondage of sin through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And one day, we're going to stand before God and we're going to be judged for what we've done on this earth. Now, as believers, we're not going to be judged for our sins because Jesus has already paid for our sins, but we're going to be held accountable for our words and our deeds. Why did you treat that person the way you did? Why didn't you use the gifts that I gave you and you squandered them instead? I mean, we'll be held accountable. And so, as believers, I mean, we should live our lives in light of, Lord, I want to please you. 
I want to live like you. I want to show mercy to people like you showed mercy to people. Because we know that one day we're going to stand before him and be held accountable. Why did you do that? Are you treating others the way that you want to be treated? You know, as divisive as we are in our world today, in our country, I wonder how things would uh, be different if we really took that to heart. I am going to love my neighbor in the same way that I love myself. I'm going to look out for their best interest, just like I look out for mine. Three reasons why we're to avoid partiality. It is inconsistent with our faith. It's inconsistent with God's character, and it's inconsistent with God's word, the royal law and the law of liberty. Well, God always takes me through lessons throughout life uh, as I'm learning things in the Bible, and God showed me a few years ago, I mean, I, he gave me a lesson where I said one thing, and then I had to really live it out. And it was a, really, I felt like it, it was a test that God gave me. I, and I shared this with some of you years ago, but uh, for those of you who are new, uh, my niece and her husband uh, could not have children, so they decided that they were going to adopt. And so this was shortly after I came here to First Stephen, 16 years ago, 15 years ago. Valerie and her husband Gary... Uh, flew in from North Carolina to Memphis, and we drove home to Louisiana to celebrate my mom's 90th birthday. And on the way home, driving, Valerie asked me, she said, how, would, how do you think, the, the, you and your, the family, how would y'all respond if we adopted an African-American baby? And my first response was, Well, have you looked at international adoption or, I mean, here I am. I'm already beginning to look at things through my lens. I mean, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, deep south. I mean, I had preconceived ideas, I guess. God's showing me, do you really believe this? Are you living out the word here? So she asked me, she said, would you be able to love her? Do you think grandma would be able to love her? Would the rest of the family And I thought for a moment, and I said, Valerie, we will love whatever child you all adopt. Regardless of color or nationality, we will love that baby. Now, I said that. That was one, that was the words that came out of my mouth. But a year later, God put me to the test. Because a year later, uh, mom's 91st birthday, Valerie and Gary were coming to Louisiana to celebrate it, and they were bringing Haley. This, they adopted a little African-American baby girl, and I drove on, and we were going to pick them up at the airport, and as we got to, and mom had had, she'd been asking questions, and you have to remember, my mom really grew up in a very uh, segregated society. I mean, you know, she was born in 1916, so she uh, grew up with that. And so this was hard for mom. And as we got to the airport and we're getting out of the car, she turned to me and she said, I'm really nervous. What if I can't love this little baby? And I looked at her and I said, I'm nervous too, mom. But I think we're going to be surprised. 
I, I hope that we we're embrace this baby, but let's just go in and see what God does. So we walked in, and we're waiting for them, and then all of a sudden we see uh, Gary and Valerie coming with this stroller and this little African-American baby. And when she sees us, Haley just puts her arms up like, it was over. <laughs> we did not, from that point on, we did not see color. And I want to show you some pictures of my mom. That weekend, my mom never let go of Haley. I mean, they loved each other. And there's another picture uh, of just amazing. I mean, you, you really stop looking at color. You just see this, is, this child is part of our family. And then uh, one more picture. Uh, they had ended up adopting two other. These are all blood siblings. They're all brother and sister, born a year apart. Uh, and so I know when they called and said, do you want the fourth child? And they went, nope, I, we're done. <laughs> but these are actually their brother and sister. Uh, and they loved mom, and my mom adored them. And I was so proud of my mom. And I, I even, I mean, you know, for me, I had the test too. Am I going to let We just, you know, we never see them as the color we see. That is my prayer for us. That we would not see people by how much money they have, how much, um, what they dress like, what color their skin is. That we would see people as part of our family or as part of God's creation if they're not a Christian. That's the way I'd love for us just to be where we're not torn by these differences. That's my prayer for us. If we want to stand firm in our faith, we have to avoid the obstacle of partiality. How are you doing in that area? How does God need to work in your life? You know, I think that how different our world would look today if we could just avoid looking at each other. And I'm talking about all sides, people pointing the fingers. If we would just see each other as people, God's creation. And we as Christians should set that example. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for what you're teaching me in this area. And I confess I still have those times that I make those premature judgments based on outward things. But Father, I pray you'd work in us, that you would help us see people as your creation, created in your image. And even though we may have trouble liking some people, Lord, give us a love from them, your love, wanting your best for them. Lord, work in each one of us. Thank you for these words from James. In Jesus' name, amen.